Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anytime anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. At Discount Tire, we know your time is valuable. Get 30% shorter average wait time when you buy and book online. Did you know Discount Tire now sells wiper blades? Check out our current deals at DiscountTire.com or stop in and talk to an associate today. Discount Tire. Let's get you taken care of. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It's the Marketer's Report. This week, Patrizia Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Welcome to a Celtic State of Mind lunchtime bulletin. My name's Kevin Graham and today I'm joined by Paul John Dykes. Hi Kev. 
You're right, Paul. What's happening? I'm not too bad. Uh, Thanks for having me. I know, I know. It's it's nice for you to turn up for once. I mean, again, that you're hardly ever here, eh? And it's it's nice for you to turn up. And we're joined by a new face today, Brian Dengan. Brian, how are you? I'm very well, mate. Very well. Glad to be here. Um, It's uh, going to be exciting to have a debut appearance um, on Axon. So, so Brian. No, welcome to the club. Welcome to the Axon cult. Yes, (laughs) Yes, because <laughs> we've been told that the, I know that you haven't had your initiation ceremony yet, but that's still to come. And as long as long as you're all right with killing puppies and stuff like that, you'll get on fine. Ah, no you'll get on fine. Rolled up the trouser, same as salute. Uh, <laughs> well, it's not that we haven't got any much to talk about. We've got plenty to talk about. But I think I'll, I think what I'll do is I'll drop in the breaking news mm. that. Absolutely breaking news at this precise moment in time that Yokohama F Marinos have, are going to penalty kicks against Honda FC in the Emperor's Cup. Uh, extra times is about to end and it's two each. So it looks like maybe the odds be Elsa will actually be missing his flight to Scotland if the reports are, are going with. Brian, you haven't been on. What's your thoughts about Ange Postacoglu? Um, I'm quite excited, actually. I think um, I think I've just kind of I don't have beaten myself into the idea of being excited by him, and I'm sort of accepting the reality of what we're, we're involved in. Um, I had a discussion last night with a guy on Twitter, and he was talking about how, and I says, "Well, on paper, we've got a guy who's an international manager who's successful at an international level, who, by all accounts, plays really good football." He's been successful in both domestic leagues he's been involved in. He's got a reputation for rebuilding and revitalising squads. On the other hand, you had Eddie Howe, who had been at a club not really under any pressure, not particularly big fan base, got a couple of promotions and then get relegated. So actually, if you look at the optics slightly differently, I think um, Anja, as Jim Moss says, Ange, <laughs> is actually quite a, an exciting uh, prospect to come in and I actually think that it's going to give something different a new dynamic and when you consider how much we're so keen to erase last season from history so let's just go all in you know completely different manager we've never heard of hopefully new style of football start from scratch new CEO and go from there so so I am actually really excited Kev Do you think that excitement is just down that you've been browbeaten Basically, by the by the fact that it's a hundred and five days now since Neil Lennon left the club, and the club just seems to be staggering through one shambles to the next. Do you think that we've all just got to that? Let's just like get an appointment and let's just move on. I think there's an element in that, and I think you know you'd be lying if you said otherwise. Um, that being said, it's almost a point you would accept to anybody. When they were talking about, you know, potentially Kevin Muscat being his assistant, and I think I said to someone, you know, I would take Kevin Costin at this stage. <laughs> He's really happy to get somebody in, get a name above the door, so to speak, and, and get started. So, yeah, I think your, your perspective is always going to be skewed by the, the circumstances we're in. But again, I think it's just such a different prospect. You can't help but be intrigued by it. You know, if it, it was... Um, say Jack Ross or Chris Wilder or, or somebody like that, you sort of know what you're getting. So 
for good or for bad, this is an exciting prospect. Paul, what do you think? Because he's like, for me, he seems to have been an afterthought. It looks like the club have had all the thoughts, uh, all their eggs in the, in the how basket. And this guy suddenly appears. But then when we start playing devil advocate, which we do on this podcast, when you look back on it, we were, there was a, we were told that it was our fourth name. Mm-hmm. That nobody knew about, and that was in February time. And yeah. we've just we've just kind of put two and two together and got five, and says it must have been Postacoglu. So this looked like he's the hundred and twenty fifth choice, and there's hundreds of managers in front of us. Do you think that's fair on Postacoglu? Well, or, or, or is it fair on the club? I think that. I, I think that Postacoglu was at least the fourth choice, Kev. You know, people are saying that um, we didn't get Eddie Howe and Postacoglu is coming in as the second choice. I don't even think he was that, to be totally frank. Uh, the, the discussion you're referring to was when we were talking about Eddie Howe being the, the prime candidate for the Celtic manager's job. We also had been informed that um, Enzo Maresca uh, had been spoken to by Celtic. And then, and I remember tweeting this out, and the, the meltdown, which often follows a tweet from my account, was uh, Roy Keane and Nicky Butt. That was the other one who had been spoken to. And that's been confirmed because Nicky Butt was uh, um, in a discussion with Peter Lowell, as it happens, and that didn't happen. So the fourth name we didn't know at the time, and I thought that it was actually Gerardo uh, Sowan who moved from um, his position at Young Boys to take up the manager's role at Bayer Leverkusen uh, to team up with Jeremy Frimpong uh, and possibly even Chris Ayer. So... I don't think he was the, the second choice. I actually think he's been the, fir- the, the fourth choice. And Maresca, during us having all the eggs in the Eddie Howe basket, Maresco's went away to Parma. Um, they've obviously thought better of the Roy Keane appointment. So there's absolutely no doubt about that. In my mind, he certainly wasn't uh, the prime candidate. But I get what, what Brian's talking about in terms of, of an intrigue. That there was an intrigue when we brought in Vim Janssen, um, who had you know played at World Cups and uh, played in European Cup finals and won European Cups. And there was an intrigue when we brought in Joe Venglos, uh, and he was hardly an unknown um, quantity back then either because he obviously had also managed at World Cups and he managed the Sporting Lisbon team, Kev, that uh, Celtic hammered 5 nothing at Celtic Park in the 1980s. But there is a level of intrigue. Um, I just feel that the, the level of risk is far too high under the circumstances and when you consider the season we're about to go into, Kev. So it's not that we're spending all day every day on Axom criticising the managerial um, appointment, there is just a level of concern that, you know, this guy has to hit the deck running. He, he needs to hit the ground running. Um, and there's so much of an upheaval in relation to the personnel. And not only that, just throw the Euros into there as well. And we're going to talk about the Euros, Kev. So, yeah, it's uh, going to be a difficult task, even for the best of the candidates. Never mind someone who potentially was the second, but, you know, he might even have been the fourth choice. The thing, the thing with me, uh, I'm, look, I'm having a wee joke calling him the Osby Elsa. I stopped reading about Ange Postacoglu about like 10 days ago. Basically because for me, he's coming in with his two hands stand behind his back mm-hmm. of because of the way that he's been appointed. And that's not his fault. I'm not going to lay any blame at his door whatsoever. Um, I want him to do well, but it is a massive gamble. It is a big, big gamble. It's like one of these like gamblers who have, who's walked into the bookies 
with his mortgage money and he's putting it on a thousand to one shot to win the Grand National to actually pay off his gambling debts. It is that much of a gamble. But in Scotland, it's a two-horse race. So we may get lucky. But on the face of it, you actually have a look and there's plenty of more. There's plenty of other candidates out there that are probably mm-hmm. more suited to the Celtic job. Mm-hmm. And the doubts that are getting raised about Postacoglu are, are all genuine, but also the positivity is genuine as well, because as, as Brian, you rightly say, we do not know anything about this guy and he could be an unknown star. And also, Celtic have got history of doing this, as Paul, as you mentioned, with Wim Janssen and, and Joel Venglos. And Ronnie Dyla as well. We have got history of doing this, of looking left field for appointments. Mm-hmm. But I think, as you say, after the season we've had, I feel sorry for Poster Coglu coming in. I really do. Uh, I want him to do well, and I'll only judge him as a Celtic manager. I, I don't really care what he's done elsewhere. I'm only going to judge him on his merits as a Celtic manager, which hopefully he soon, he, hopefully he soon will be in the next couple of hours. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm thinking back through my own Celtic supporting life, Kev, and all the different appointments that have been made uh, during my time supporting Celtic, and um, I can think of a couple of of higher risk appointments in my time supporting Celtic because I think that when you appoint a rookie um, and we did that with Liam Brady we did it with John Barnes and we actually did it with Neil Lennon when you appoint a rookie who has got absolutely no experience of managing um, a football club at any kind of level beyond kind of youth level then I I would actually say that's a bigger risk than bringing someone in with a wealth of experience and I know that his experience and his honours and everything he's done has been picked to the bone uh, these last few weeks and some people say that it's good experience and what he's done is is viable others say it isn't Um, but I think there's been bigger risks and you know people may criticise me for saying this but I'm going to ask you actually rather than say it when we appointed Neil Lennon in 2010 I mean the level of risk in appointing someone who had never managed Kev was absolutely huge at that point so you know we have taken risks like that in the near future Um, and I think the Ronnie Dyla one was interesting as well because you know, I think there was a level of derision when he was appointed, Kev. And, you know, there was other names in the hat at that time. Um, back then, you know, the, the name of Roy Keane, uh, when mentioned, doesn't get the same kind of reaction as it did now. I mean, it wasn't universally um, agreed that he would be a good uh, manager in 2010. But it's a, certainly a different reaction you get now. Now, back then, 2010, Kev, was that the time when Steve Clark was interviewed for the job as well? I'm sure Clark was interviewed before Dyla. Yeah. I'm sure I'm Aye. sure it was round about then. And also I think two thousand and ten, you're probably after Mowbray, you're probably talking about Martinez would have been in the frame, Owen Coyle would have been in the frame. Um I can't remember who else, but I think Neil Lennon got... Basically, if we actually look back in hindsight, it's a great thing now. Neil Lennon got the job basically for coming and throwing his players under the bus after getting beat off Ross County in the semi-final. That, think, was, that was his job interview. I think he got the job because his, his salary was 300 grand. I think that's why he got the job. And, you know, at that time, we know other people were in for the job, uh, none other than uh, Mark Hughes. He was in for the job as well in mm-hmm. 2010, but his salary coming from the EPL at that time 
Um, let me just work this out. Would have not quite been ten times the amount that Neil Lennon was getting, but it was certainly uh, over one and a half million pounds. So five times the amount that Neil Lennon was getting. So yeah, it might have been because he threw the players under the bus, but I think actually the reason he got the job was because he was on three hundred grand a year at that point, and the manager that came in. Um, after Walter Smith at Ibrox was Alan McCoy, who famously was on 900 grand even when he was managing in the lower leagues. So I think it was a financial decision rather than anything else. I think you could be right there, Brian. What's your memories of that time? I remember at the time, because obviously we had Mowbray, which was turned out to be a bit of a shambles. But interestingly with Mowbray, he was someone who played really attractive football, who was a Celtic man, who had all this stuff coming in. So he should have been the great appointment. It went wrong. And Lennon was, I think, I actually think he was exactly what Celtic needed at that time because he had this time of bringing the thunder back, the passion, the grit, and that's that fighting spirit that we had lost for a bit. Um, so actually at the time, obviously in hindsight now, he's second spell, we know what happened. But I think at the time, actually, I was really quite excited about it because I thought at least he's going to come in and get a bit of fight out of this team wasn't the most ambitious signing but I thought at the time actually it was, I remember being quite excited when, when Lenny took over mm-hmm. uh, I, I, Again, Neil Lennon was probably still on the crest of a wave of Neil Lennon the player at that point and we were maybe looking for a more Celtic minded, even though he followed Tony Mowbray, he was a different character for Tony Mowbray, he was there to basically bring the passion back, as you say, the thunder and when you have, when you have a look at his antics on the touchline that season, like picking fights kicking water bottles, doing quite a lot of things, he, he, he was a, a, this wee angry little man and that's what we needed at that time to drag the club back up, it's not what we needed, we needed when Brendan Rodgers left, we needed somebody to step in with the character like Lennon. But to take the club forward, we didn't need Neil Lennon. We, we, we were already in a different place. And this is where it was. As, as Paul says to me yesterday, it was like the Celtic board had bet on Devon Walsh uh, with two with two fur ones to go. Neil Lennon managed to... Neil Lennon managed to get us to win the first third one and we failed at the second one, the second one being the one going to 10 in a row. And now we just seem to be in this utter state of chaos. Mm-hmm. And it's an appointment, as Monty quite rightly says, actually, we need to wake up and smell the coffee. This is going to be a disaster. It could well be a disaster. But me, you, the woman next door, the guy that's fit in the kitchen next door to me, the, the man that's cleaning my windies, doesn't actually care if it's going to be a disaster we have to try and not spin it and we're not spinning it but we can only judge the man when he actually starts getting his hands dirty mm-hmm. what you have to look at as well it's all well and good saying it's going to be a disaster you guys are piping it up but the reality is months ago in one of Celtic's particularly badly timed statements they'd mentioned that they knew this season coming up was going to be a season of transition they'd mentioned that this is going to be all change all go ahead I think they are fully prepared for this season to be a rebuild. Mm. I think they've they've almost written this season off already. And going back to an earlier point about Angie feeling sorry for Ange, I don't because I think he, if he does, comes in and does well, he's a hero. If he doesn't, no one expects anything anyway. And it gives the board a chance, or Don McKay a chance at the end of this season to say, wasn't really my appointment, we get rid of him and get a big name in. 
If you do that the other way and you get the big name in first, and it goes wrong. This week on The Marketer's Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, direct-to-consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeart Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. That puts Don McKay in a position. So the, the reason I'm positive about it, I suppose, is what I'm trying to say is because, yeah, it could go wrong, but I'm not as... My expectations aren't as high this season anyway. I think it's going to take a long time. They're talking about doing a big restructure, a complete revamp of the youth, complete revamp of recruitment, backroom staff, change style of play. It's not going to take a season to do that. It's going to be at least a season and a, a transfer window or two. So I, I actually think it's been so bad this year. It can't really, we've said it before, but it can't really get much worse. And I think anything he does that's positive is, is a step more than I actually really expect. Paul, I mean, what you actually say there is true. I mean, where, where can we judge Don Mackay in all of this? He seems to have walked into an absolute mess. Yep. He seems to have walked in, and when he's probably walked into Shadow Peter Law, he says, oh, Eddie Howe's done and dusted. That's where we're going to go. Mm-hmm. The next thing you know, it's all fell down. And I agree, I agree with Brian. I think we can only judge Don Mackay on what happens next. And if he's sitting there in that boardroom, and having a look at the imbeciles that are inside them, imbeciles that are treating the fans with contempt, imbeciles that can't get a job done, and he keeps them on, then that's a massive indictment to him. I mean, we're sitting here eight days before pre-season. Mm-hmm. We've got no manager, no director of football, which was spoke about in February at fans' groups meetings. We've got no head of recruitment, and we've got an untested manager on the way, but we haven't appointed anybody yet. We've got, the fans are up in arms, but we've got a, a, the Green Brigade outside the, the club with banners. Mm-hmm. We're 105 days since we last sacked a manager. We're in an absolute mess, and anybody with any sort of business head whatsoever going into that must go on, I can change this. And the first thing that he's got to go is go in there and get rid of all the executive committee who... I've actually proven not to be fit for purpose. There should be plenty of people sitting in high-ranking jobs at Celtic should actually be fearing for their jobs after on the 1st of July when Don Mackay takes full charge and over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I, I think going back to the this season being a rebuild, uh, you know, that's now out of our hands. It should never have got to the stage of it being such a, a huge rebuild because what's going to happen here is if it does take a whole season for the acclimatisation of the new gaffer coming in, which, it, you know, likely it will, then there is only one other team who's going to win that league. And that, that team that wins that league uh, then has a, a Champions League bounty. Um, at the end of the season as well. So that swing is absolutely monumental when you think about where Celtic were, where we should be right now and where we actually are. The, the swing Ibrox way is monumental. Now, they're not going to have a season quite like last season. I mean, that's that's a one-off. But um, they're strengthening. 
they're, they seem to have the, the stable in terms of football. I'm not talking about finances. They seem to have stabilised the football department. And, you know, they're going, I think, from uh, a position of strength last season and they're building on it. Celtic, uh, the state that we're in at this moment in time, if we take a whole season to, to rebuild rather than trying to rebuild in a pre-season, which seems impossible, then it's going to be massive because that pendulum is swinging Ibrox way once again, but it's got the bounty at the end of it. So all the years, um, all the banter years, and all the uh, talk of finances and uh, having wafer-thin finances just to get them to the point of stopping Celtic from winning the 10, in many, many ways, will have been absolutely whitewashed um, if they're able to to go ahead and make the tens of millions uh, that the Champions League promised land gives you. So that's a huge concern as well. That's one of my biggest reasons why I wouldn't go for someone like Ange Postecoglou. That's not to say I won't support him once he's here and it seems pretty imminent that he will be here. Of course I will. I've supported every Celtic manager, uh, whether I liked him or not, Kev, you know, uh, and what they had done previously. Uh, but certainly I think it's a huge gamble and it's a huge risk. But on the Don Mackay point, I said yesterday I felt it was a bit unfair um, that he was being kind of tarred with the same brush, um, if you like. The Green Brigade have decided to um, have a series of banners and uh, obviously with specific uh, um, faces <laughs> in the no-go uh, red circle with a cross through it. Now, that's not nice for anybody to appear in one of them. But at the same time, there is there is a, a definite message to be to make to be made there and what they're saying is they're not fit for purpose and they shouldn't be at the club and I don't think Dominic Mackay can fall into that category because as you say Kev at this moment in time his level of influence is diminished until the 1st of July there's only so much he can do right so we've already got a CEO in place um, should should it be allowed that the manager that's coming in be an appointment that has been influenced by the, the outgoing CEO I would say no but we don't know if it is we don't know how much a part Dominic Mackay has played in that. So, yeah, we have to judge him. But I think it was a bit unfair that he has appeared alongside the others. I agree with you with the boardroom, Kev. I think it lacks creativity. I think it lacks diversity. And there's a lack of freshness in that boardroom. Uh, there's so many uh, people who could really contribute to Celtic um, and bring fresh ideas and a new approach as part of this rebuild uh, and the modernisation of Celtic Football Club. We keep hearing that as well, Kev. I don't see any modernisation happening whilst we're got the current incumbents in that boardroom so there's a massive job uh, to be done at all levels of this football club and we haven't done a single bit of it yet. What's your feelings Brian? I think it's hard to, to sort of disagree with that. I think um, I think imagine turning up for your work and you've still got a week before you start and there's a banner outside saying that people want you out that's no good for, for, for Dominic coming in but I think that one of the things he has to do off the bat is just be clear in what the plan is we talk about how we're going to judge him if he comes out with a plan and he says okay I want to engage more with fans this is the structure I want to place at the club I'm going to keep out of it and we'll reassess it at the end of the season you're judging him on those milestones if it's radio silence again the way it has been in this incumbent then it's a disaster and he's, he's wanting to hide nothing regardless, I think, of the success in the park because I think the, the fans have got to a point where unless there's a change at boardroom level, unless there's a change of attitude, I think 
the football almost becomes relevant because if Celtic becomes successful this season, but we're still treated like you know the cash cows and we're still sort of dismissed, that's not good enough either. So I think it has to come to the start. Um, just to pick up on something Paul said about the sort of Ange coming in, it's interesting that obviously he works for City Group and it's Mark Lowell, Peter's son, who's the head of recruitment and scouting for the City Group. And I suppose my concern is, is that the link between the two? Because if Fergal Harkin, who wasn't as qualified to be director of football, isn't he the one that's linked in together? Is it possibly Mark Wall? And are we going to have another wall at the helm um, sort of doing recruitment? And that's a bit of a worry for me. I think the lack of clarity around these senior positions is just as much a concern as to um, big uh, Ange coming in. The, 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 the club could they be as stupid as that? Could they? They could not be as daft as that. Bromsgrove boy, sorry, Paul. Bromsgrove boy comes in. It's the non-execs on the board who are to blame. Their role is to hold the board to account. I completely agree with that. I think our our outgoing CEOs had too much power and not enough people to answer back to him and go, what are you actually doing here? Uh, And I think he's been given carte blanche to do what he's won, he's micromanagement for far too long. There's executives in that club who have been there since Peter Wall's been there in 2003, where appointed by Peter Peter Wall in very, very high positions. And these guys, you say everybody's got a shelf life, especially in a business, and a, a fo- especially in a football business. You should not have a job for 15 years at a football club because football has been constantly moving in the modern age. And as we say, we lack ideas, we lack vision. And that has been proven over the last 100 days since Neil Lennon left. We didn't have a plan. We didn't have a clue. We just thought we would bumble through and something would actually fall on our laps. We've got Neil Lennon talking about the culture of the club. Well, yeah. a fish rots for the head. And this is where the fish is rotting at the head and that needs changed. And it's up to Dom to try and change that. And the only, the only, the only place Dom can actually change that is be appointing new people in the executive positions to try and give the club a different outlook. And there's some great people at Celtic Football Club, some good people at Celtic Football Club, but... We all know, and I've dealt with them, Paul's dealt with them, and that there's some guys, and there's, there's some people who work actually here, who you go, you've been there for too long. And I've said it on here before, I mean, there, there is one guy who works quite high up in Celtic who utterly hates the Celtic fans. And he's been quite open that he doesn't like Celtic fans with his actions. Well, he, should, he shouldn't be at the club. He shouldn't, shouldn't be, be at the club. club. I don't he doesn't. I don't care who you support, but if you deliberately go out to do stuff, it's to bring scorn on the Celtic fans and to deliberately charge and get Celtic fans done with the police, then, by the way, you you shouldn't be in that club. No, you shouldn't. The other thing I was going to say is, uh, with regards to those that we need to replace, Kev, I also think we are uh, leaderless on the field. I don't think we've got a captain. You know, people... 
just take it for granted that the vice captain's Callum McGregor. He's going to be the captain. You look at the uh, the performances of Callum McGregor last season. Uh, I don't actually. I see the experience. I see him leading by example, and I get that sometimes that's what a captain's role can be. But I don't actually think that he is built to be a captain. Who comes after him? Well, I've said Chris Iyer. He's on his way out. He's admitted he's going. Uh, the other experienced players that we've got from uh, the current crop, James Forrest, is he a captain? So, as well as the head of recruitment and uh, you know the manager and, and the various other roles that need to be replaced, I, I still don't think we've got a captain on the park as well, Kevin. That that is something that um, you know you don't just flick a coin. All right, you're no. the gaffer. You know that that's something that again succession planning. There, there's been such a lack of succession planning at Celtic Park for a number of years. And you've said it time and time again, Kevin, and you've been criticised for it as well. Um, but it's true, and it's coming to, at home to roost now. Definitely. I did. I had actually wrote, written down no captain, but then when I was going through the list, that seems well down the bottom of the list of the other people that we're actually missing at the moment. <laughs> the, the fact that we we'll have to go any captain. I'm going to go back to the interview that Amy done with Paul Elliott. Mm-hmm. And Paul Elliott, if you suddenly watched it on a Soccer Supernova by our own Amy Canavan, who's on on a Monday, it's a fantastic interview with Paul Elliott. Paul Elliott is a genuine force of nature, one of the best centre halves I've ever seen play for Celtic. Yeah. And when he starts talking about his time at Celtic, he actually got Celtic. And I, I had to listen to this about three or four times. And this came on the same day when Neil Lennon was in the papers actually slaughtering Celtic fans. And I, I listened to it on the same day. Again, it was, in a, it was, again, it was a couple of weeks before. And what Paul, Paul Elliott embraced the culture of Celtic Football Club. Embraced what we see, the fans see what Celtic Football Club is. If you haven't seen it, I'll paraphrase what he actually says. He says, Celtic is a culture, a way of life. There is a behaviour, a manner, a sincerity, an engagement, a movement. Celtic is a movement of a culture, embraces all the good things about people and attitude and behaviours. If any other person hasn't got it, the Celtic fans will help. It's a culture of sharing, respect, humility, of decency and all the good things you want for people and social behaviour. And he says, I knew it was special and if you could bottle it, it'd be worth millions of pounds. Kev, that should be on the boardroom doors. Paul, for every member of the board walking in their doors. Paul Elliott should be walking into Don Mackay's office and telling him that. And if Don Mackay lives up to their values, Celtic Football Club will be success- successful. I, I thought that was an inspired and passioned speech by Paul Elliott. Somebody who was an outsider who came into Celtic mm. and got what we're all about. And there's some guys sitting on the board there's some guys sitting on the board who do not know what we're about. Neil Lennon talked for me, Neil Lennon spoke about a new breed of fan. And the new breed of fan has came because of the contempt that we're treated with. We're treated as customers. We'd, we're treated not with one ounce of Celtic values, as Paul Elliott described. What do you think, Brian? Yeah, I mean, I think that Paul Elliott is an absolute giant of a man, um, even more than a player. The way he speaks, his, his passion, his articulation was wonderful. Um, talking about Neil Lennon, we used to chant there's only one Neil Lennon, but actually there seems to be two Neil Lennons because there's Neil Lennon who claims the fans are obsessed with the 10, but they want the players to stay for the 10. There's the Neil Lennon who threw the players under the bus and said none of them wanted to be here, they should go, and then played the same players the next week. 
There's a new Lennon who who single-handedly defeated Lazio in Rome. But then there's a new Lennon who got spanked um, 8-2 in, the, the, in Europe. So the, the reality is, Neil seems, there's two versions of him. There's a new Lennon who feels like he was thrown under the bus by the board, but then praises the board at every opportunity. He sort of, I think he's lost. I think the new Lennon that left Celtic never came back because he was so different um, in terms of the way he was. You know, even on the touchline, he looked so fed up, so dispassionate. So something that, so with that in mind, it does concern me about how many south, but it also annoys me because I think that. This week on the Marketers Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct to Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeart Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. This week on The Marketer's Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct-to-Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeart Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. You're right, it's a total lack of respect. And and that lack of respect is rife through Celtic just now. Interestingly, you, you referred to them seeing Celtic as customers. That actually frustrates me more. Not the fact they see as customers, it's the fact that, like any business, they don't treat you like a customer. If you're at a Burger King and you ask for a burger and they just threw an onion at you, you'd be furious, Right? They wouldn't do that because they want to look after their customer base. If you go to buy a suit from Slater's or somewhere and you create a pair of tights on, you're not going to get back. But yet Celtic, if they're operating this as a business, they're doing nothing to keep their customer base happy or rewarded or feel valued. So they're fundamentally failing at both the football and the business side of things. And that is a real frustration for me. I think that's a complacency. That's a complacency that, that's crept in because they know, if, you know, if you go into any any business, there's other options. But when you are invested in Celtic, it's an emotional investment as well as anything else. So you're not going to go anywhere else. Although I have seen loads of supporters, um, even on the comment section, Kevin saying they're, they're giving the club nothing more until there's a, a big change in the boardroom. But they, they words from Paul Elliott, absolutely astonishing. You know, and really, like you say, and I know it's a bit of a cliche, but he gets it. I just don't think those in the boardroom get what the Celtic fans are trying to put across. There's been moments of frustration, yet they've used them to hit us like a like a stick with, you know, when the fans turned up at Ross County. It's almost as if, you know, I think at that point, I think at that point the club were close to ending Neil Lennon's time at Celtic. And I think out of absolute digging their heels in, they prevented, we, they, they'd stopped themselves from doing it because it was almost as if they'd have been baying to the mob. You know, that I think that was the attitude of Celtic back then. But in any business, you make the decision because the season was 
rapidly disappearing into the into the um, the sunset. And you know, all these months later, and it takes until February, uh, the decision is made probably for the best because I think yesterday. I mentioned as well, Kev, that there was a few moments, going back to what Brian said there about Neil Lennon, there was a few moments this season where you think to yourself, he is completely out of his depth. And what I mean by that is there is no way he's turning it around. Mm-hmm. And you've seen the reaction, the reaction to the, the um, criticism around the Dubai trip. Now, anybody that comes in and doubles down at that point, just to use Russell Boyce's term, double down, to sit there in front of a, a packed room of uh, media and and to then start attacking anyone, including former players, the media, uh, that attack has obviously extended onto the fans, the fan base as well. And I just think when you look at that that kind of level of behaviour, uh, Neil Lennon was way at his depth. Now he's taken um, he's taken an issue with being called a dinosaur. It's nothing to do with age. Again, Russell Boyce pointed it out. Nothing to do with age. It's all to do with approach. You, all you can actually look at the the squad of players that Neil Lennon had first time round. Compare that the culture of that team to the team that he has just left behind, and the two cultures are completely different. And the example I give, Kev, three nothing down at Rugby Park, screaming and shouting at Anthony Stokes, you get a reaction. If you were three nothing down against anybody and you screamed and shouted at Ed Orton Edward, what kind of reaction are you going to get? And that's the difference. That's the difference. So a manager has to adapt his style and his approach to match the players at his disposal. Because if you manage to switch Orson Edward on, he's an absolute game changer. You know, he's a world beater on his day. But it went another way. So when you come out against after Ferenc Varos and you, you know, criticise the players for no one to be there, you're having a dig at the board there because the board have forced them to stay. You're having a, a dig at the players. You're giving thinly um, veiled attacks left, right and centre. Yeah, as Brian says, you don't make a change. You play the exact same players. And at that point, I kept saying, well, if you're unhappy with half a dozen players, because at that point we're guessing, Kev, we're thinking, is it Christie? Is it Frimpong? Is it Ncham? Ayer? You know, Edward? We're, we're guessing at that stage who the players are. Mm-hmm. If you've got six unhappy players, play the new six guys that have come in. How can they be unhappy? They're just in the door. Be a manager. Manage the situation. He failed to do that. Uh, definitely. Um, Brian Watt comes in with a great comment on YouTube. He's called Neil Lennon Deflectosaurus. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. Deflectosaurus. Love it. I, I mean, Neil, it, was all, it, was all, it was obviously brand... A reputation for Neil Lennon in that interview. He yeah. chose to do it with a friendly interviewer as in Michael Grant. And look, we will look back on what Neil Lennon did do for Celtic, but at this point it is a bit, still a bit too raw. And again, I, I, we could all maybe see what was going to come with Neil Lennon. I mean, he didn't manage the situation well, and they keep on going on about these situations that we do not know nothing about. Oh, you one in the dressing room, you didn't know what had happened. I think we've seen enough to actually say the players had chucked it. I mean, that, that's one of the hints, Paul. Uh, I don't know what age you are, Brian, but I'm going to guess that you're younger than me and Paul. But, Paul, when we used to watch Celtic in the 90s, I'm going off Celtic, da, stuff he's all, I'm going Celtic, da, here, right? In the 90s, when I used to watch Celtic, I we were rubbish, but at least they tried. Well, uh, if you forget, I mean, one of my greatest ever games was 5 4 at Brockville against Falkirk. I were yeah. absolutely, well, absolutely ranked rotten. And, and you went game. wild when we scored that fifth goal. You know, you I went absolutely wild. I was yeah. in the Falkirk end, I did go wild, didn't I? You know, uh, 
the, the thing is, I've seen a lot of these comparisons, Kev, and, you know, this new breed thing, I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it. I mean, you don't choose when, it's, it's default. You know, when you land at Celtic Park is absolute default. You know, you could have landed at the beginning of nine in a row. It's nothing. You know, it's not a choice. You're a Celtic fan, bottom line. So I'm not buying the new breed, old breed, any of that kind of stuff. We're all just Celtic fans and we can argue and disagree and dislike each other and that's fine. But we're all, it's all for the common goal. And there was a big thing here when we started criticising the club on a Celtic state of mind because... Prior to that, Kev, there was very little in the way of criticism because a lot of what we were doing was very much talking to people who had a Celtic state of mind and talking to folk about their Celtic story, be that somebody who worked in the pit or somebody who played for the club. But when we were following this season and we'll continue to follow uh, every single nuance of Celtic going forward, you can't just prevent yourself from criticising what's going on at the club. Because if you do that, then you're just going to watch the club fall off the edge of a cliff. And I'm not saying we were Nostradamus and I told you so, but we were talking about it in September, October time. You know, and we're still talking about it now, all these months later, eight months later. But yeah, the 90s um, galvanised me as a Celtic fan. And when I look back, uh, you know, at the there was absolutely um, plenty of humour going to the games, plenty of humour at the games plenty of rotten players and plenty of rotten managers Kev we've seen a whole lot but every single wee bit of light at the end of the tunnel you know you still and this is the thing that Jim Orr says when they were trying to actually make changes at Celtic Park every time we won a game against Rangers every time we got to a cup final you know or every now and again won a trophy because it was every now and again the, the momentum of any fan movement was lost because mm-hmm. Celt- all these fans thought at Celtic were going to be okay. At this moment in time, yes, yeah, Celtic will be okay. Of course they will. But only because we need to make changes and the changes will eventually come. And I'm hoping that Dominic Mackay will be the man to make those positive changes. And I'm not going to criticise him until he's in post and he starts making those decisions himself. And I think that when, he is, when he's in post, Kev, from what I've heard, he's going to engage with Celtic fans. Hopefully, hopefully, if he wants to come on here on the Wednesday bulletin, he's more than welcome. Um, very more than welcome to come and have a blether with me, Brian, and, and Colin when he's back from his from, from his holiday. Cheers for the invite, mate. Ah well, you you, can, you sit behind in the studio and just like bring up the comments, Paul. That's what that's what you usually do. Thank I, you. I think I think to bring everybody up to date that Yokohama got beat on penalty kicks. So they're out of the they're out of, they're out of the Emperor Cup. So we'll maybe get something over the next twenty four hours to say that Postacoglu is on his way to Celtic. Let's have a look at like we're talking about managers. We're talking mm. about Postacoglu. Mm. Ifs and buts, right? Paul, you got an, a, an, a, a bit of information the other day that in nineteen ninety seven. Fergus McCann interviewed and believed he was going to appoint Carlos Alberto Pereira as Celtic manager before Wim Janssen. Now, yeah. for people who don't know who Carlos Alberto Pereira was, he was the World Cup winning manager with Brazil in 1994. <laughs> a, a final that's more actually remembered for Baggio missing a penalty. Yep. Um, he was a World Cup winner. He was also, he had won the Turkish League with Fenerbahce. And at this point, he was with Metro Stars. So do you know what team Metro Stars actually became? Uh, Metro Stars are in the MLS. Right, we're, we're the best, mate. LA? No, 
Oh, if I tell you who they were based, it, it makes it makes it more simple. Exactly. That's my questioning skills coming in. Uh, no, I'd just be guessing. New York Red Bulls. Is that's that right? who that's who Metro stars. Became. So that's all down to him as well, Carlos, right? So so basically, at that point, he was he probably would have been gettable for Celtic. It was. I mean that. Every now and again, this is what I love about speaking to Celtic people, right, is you're constantly learning. And I remember speaking in the early days in me writing Celtic books, I, I spoke to Pat Woods, a fantastic historian on Celtic Football Club, and he told me that there's still lots to learn about the past. And I now know what he means, because we've been picking up things, Kev, like when Celtic tried to buy Wimbledon mm -hmm. in 1998. You know, or who was the Celtic player that Pablo Picasso sketched? We found out all these kind of things just talking to people, and it's incredible. But Carlos Alberto uh, Pereira at that time, Kev, was only 54, right? So then coming manager, I think, is 55. So he was at the peak East Powers having won the World Cup with Brazil. And just to bring everybody um, uh, up to scratch with that Brazil team, here's some names, and most people will remember Branco, Babeto, remember the celebration uh, with the baby, Babeto, uh, Dunga. Romario, what a player Romario was. Cafu, Leonardo, who I think got sent off in that tournament. He was outstanding, left back, played with AC Milan, outstanding. And there was a 17-year-old kid in the squad who didn't play at the World Cup, but it was Carlos Alberto Pereira that gave that 17-year-old Ronaldo his Brazil debut. So he knew a player. Now, Carlos wasn't a footballer. He was a non-playing manager. He'd never played. Um, but what I was interested in is that... Uh, Fergus McCann flew to New York to speak to him and he believed when he left that meeting that he was going to take over at Celtic. This was obviously um, in um, preparation for stopping the 10 as it became. So in between Tommy Burns and Vim Janssen. And he went on, which I think is uh, interesting as well, Kev. He went on to win the Copa America in 2004. And he went on to win the FIFA Confederations Cup in 2005. So he went on to have success as well. Uh, but I can't bemoan the fact that we gave the job to Vim Janssen because he came in and done it and that was it. But from going from Romario and Ronaldo to Reggie Blinker and Darren Jackson, I don't know how we would have acclimatised to that, to be honest with you. He also had quite a nomadic football career as well. Mm. Uh, when you see the amount of... He, he managed Saudi Arabia in the World Cup. He also managed uh, South Africa in yep. the 2010 uh, uh, World Cup. He didn't he seem to hang around places very, very long. Mind you, he did Wim Janssen or Josef Wenglos at that time as well. The I mean, thing is, Kev, I think that the this is relevant right now because we are, at that point, under Fergus McCann, interviewing World Cup winning managers. Where are we now? I think that's how this is so, so relevant. Who are we speaking to now? No one near that kind of ilk of manager. You know, and that shows you how far we've actually come or fallen since 1997. I'm sure we would be able to speak to that kind of ilk of manager, but whether we could get the, the guy through the door... I mean, I, I said last week with Colin that we seem to have a major problem trying to get big names through the door unless they've got a Celtic state of mind. The thing is, I think the Celtic thing is the thing that gets people interested. The minute they start talking to the people at Celtic, that's when the problems start. So Celtic is the attraction. Then they sit down and have a meeting with Peter Lowell and that turns them off. And that's my biggest concern. And hopefully that will all change now with the incoming Dominic Mackay coming in and that whole regime should change.
Well, what, what do you think, Brian? Eh? Do you think we've got a problem? Try, well, we obviously have a problem to try and get deals done for guys like me and you. Celtic should be the easiest sell in the world. I mean, if I was selling a uh, Celtic to Ange Postacoglu, there's my first mistake with his name. There we go. Uh, if I was selling Celtic to him, I would go like that. By the way, mate, see if you come in here and get it absolutely spot on. This is going to be the best job you'll ever have in your life. And you're going to be remembered if you're successful here. Eh? So why can we not sell that to everybody else? What what makes it so difficult? It's very strange and you have to and I think you have to wonder what goes on. I think there's there's a, a perception of Scottish football as well. And I think some managers, particularly these young up and colonels or whatever, maybe think Scottish League are not going to get a lot of credit for it. But actually one of the guys that I always thought sold Celtic wonderfully was Gordon Strachan. Gordon Strachan recently uh, said, you know, if you want to, if you can go to a club, become a hero, win trophies, play in front of 60,000 fans for a, 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 an iconic club, and you can do that somewhere else, on you go. And I thought that was kind of brilliant because it's, it's very simple, but it's so true. If you're, you get different types of footballer. Some footballers want to come and have play in the Premier League for 80 grand a week for Southampton and never get a trophy in their life, but they're rich. Sometimes want to come and say, well, I played for this club, played for that club, played for a great club with a great fan base, with a great story. Um, and I had these trophies. Mm-hmm. Might not have the, the size of mansion so-and-so has, but look at my memories. So it depends on the attitude of the player. Um, we talk about getting a new director of football and we also need a, a director of culture. You know, a guy like a Paul Elliott to come in. A guy like a, a Tommy Burns, God bless him, to, to run through and tell people, this is why you're here. This is what you're playing for. I think the, the romanticism of Celtic isn't spoke about enough at, at corporate level. That should be the selling point. What a beautiful Hollywood story Celtic is. And it never gets mentioned. I like you, Brian. I love you. I love you. <laughs> you're really good, mate. You're that, mate. That's a crime. I think that's an absolute crime. And um, and you have to look at, even when Brendan Rodgers came, ex-Liverpool manager, yes, he, he was Celtic-minded or so he said, but what a coup that was. And he came in a couple of years gone. The next manager should have been of a similar ilk. Mm-hmm. Didn't have a big Hollywood name for the sake of the name, but a calibre of manager. One of the most galling things, and I don't want to go down a rabbit hole, but one of the most galling things about last season was the lack of fitness in the team. Mm-hmm. And I'll go back to Gordon Strachan's time. I was, uh, I got quite friendly with a player during Strachan's time. And the player said to me, he says, every time we play a team, for the last 10 to 15 minutes of that game, they start to back off and pull back because they know we can run for another 90 minutes. And it was a simple thing, and that was a limited squad under Gordon Strachan. Mm-hmm. They performed so well because they get the basics right. Be fit, be strong, be energised, be determined. That was it. And again, I think with these players in this squad, I think that's part of the problem. So it's a long-winded answer to your question, Kev, but I think the fact yeah. is we don't sell it enough. We don't sell us enough. We're an easy sell. We are an easy sell. We have a backstory like no other club. When people are coming, coming to us to... to quote Tommy Burns, you're playing for a people and a cause. That's what you're you're not just playing for a football club and we really need to double down on that. We need, actually need to sell that. Yes, you can have the cash. Yes, you can have this and have that. But then if we get a player come in and say, go and speak with John Hartson. 
Go and speak with Joe Ledley. Go and speak with this one. Go and speak with that one. And they'll show you what you'll experience at Celtic Football Club. And, it will, and yes, maybe you'll get 25 grand a week, at uh, £50,000 a week at Southampton, but you'll never get this experience. And that is something that we need to sell. You're not selling Scottish football. You're selling Celtic Football Club. 100%, well, 100%, Kev. And I, I think that's where the complacency's crept in because they think the, those at the club have felt that you, you know, be that Ivan Tony or uh, Eddie Howe, you should basically come into this club and fall over yourself to sign a contract. But because we're in the modern day and money talks, you as an individual, i.e. Peter Lowell doing the deal, you've got to sell yourself to, the, to those individuals. And I think that has been a massive, massive issue. And you can go right down, and we know all the deals that fell by the wayside, you know, the Eddie Howe thing's nothing new, Kev, we know that. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if you look at players that we've lost, uh, because someone's gone toe-to-toe -to -toe with Peter Lowell on um, one aspect of, of the job or, or other. Uh, and I think that, you know, I've got to be optimistic here, um, moving away from the old regime into the new. But my biggest concern is all the old guys, and they are old guys, there's one female um, on the board, they're all still there. And that's my biggest concern. As I says in the fans forum, they all have to look out that window at the statue of uh, Brother Walford and every decision they must make, what would he do? What what would he have done? And that should be behind every decision that they actually make. I, I want Big Ange. I mean, we're hearing rumours that we're going to hear Big Ange. Big Ange. <laughs> uh, we're hearing rumours that we're going to hear, hear from him in the next 48 hours. That's the rumour that's kicking about. And He's probably going to get me on board. He's probably going to get me on his on his spaceship because he's um, he looks like the type of guy that's got a bit of character about him. He does look like a but whether whether uh, whether that can carry on during the season. As I say, he's starting from a, a, a very low starting point. What what do you think? I mean, do you, what would you want him to do? Come in first thing he comes in through the door, and you've got the players wanting to go. Do you want him to try and talk him into changing? Look, talk these players into staying or just tell them on you go if you're not willing to play for me on you go Brian well, sorry sorry. Aye, Brian I'll let you go first on that one aye. Uh, yeah I would tell him if I was him I would come in this is my plan you want to be here good you don't go um, I would want him I would hope he gets all the academy players or the young guys says to everyone level playing field whether they're 16 or 36 Level playing field, let's see what you've got. Who's the players we've got that want to be here, that are determined to improve, they want to buy in. Everyone else can go. The reality is, the, the rebuild's so big anyway. You kind of restructure the entire first team regardless. So I, I, I think that would be my first thing. I want to say, this is how I want to play. This is how I want to do it. This is the type of characters I want. Everyone else can go. And... If that goes wrong, so be it. If it goes right, brilliant. But the reality is he has to come in, stick these guns, be determined, be single-minded and give everyone a chance and, and bring through some young players, you know, put your stamp in the team. That's what I would want. I think Luke and Kev, just look at the Euro squad. Look at the Scotland squad for the Euros and look at the players that Celtic have got in that squad, right? So Greg Taylor, Jack Kendry, Callum McGregor, David Turnbull, James Forrest, Ryan Christie. And uh, of those players, 
you know, I think we're kind of resigned to the fact that, that there was a deal done on Henry and he's away. Um, and we're probably going to lose Christie. But, you know, you look at that six players there. You look at those six players. That's the nucleus of a really strong side. Now, people will criticise the Jack Hendry thing. Oh, he's never done it for Celtic. He's a dud. He's such a dud that Ostend are probably going to sell him within a couple of months for 10 million quid. That's how such a dud he is. And yeah, I understand how the, the deal was done. But let's have a look at that deal as well, though, Kev, right? Because people are saying, just accept that the deal was done. Why have we got ourselves into that situation where we, as the the guy who's got the registration for that player, the club who's got the registration for that player, don't have any kind of clause in there where we say, oh, we'll just have them back. So there's a buyout clause that Ostend can can pay X amount of millions of pounds and get the player on a permanent deal. But surely the club should hold all the aces in that situation where, whereby had he done what the loan deal uh, was designed for, i.e. find some form, right, and become the player we thought he was when, he, when we bought him, then we bring him back because that's the whole purpose of the loan deal, right? But we've put ourselves in a situation where we're over a barrel with this one and we can't bring them back. I find that absolutely horrific. I think the business there is terrible. But there are six players who are in the Scotland squad and those six players are the nucleus of a decent Celtic side. You then start building around those six players. So I think if a new manager comes in and Ryan Christie wants to leave, then the first thing as a Celtic fan you're going to look back to is the pre-season that we've just had previously where we've got half a dozen guys who want to leave and then the car crash of a season that came thereafter. That wasn't solely down to the six guys that wanted to leave because if I was going to use one example, it would be Chris Iyer. Now, Chris Iyer, right, didn't have a, a particularly bad season. He played in a particularly bad Celtic side. He was at the heart of a defence that leaked goals like the old Civi the 1990s to go back to then, Kev. But in terms of his application... I don't think he was anywhere near the worst Celtic player last season. Uh, and then you look at Eduard. Yeah, we know what he's capable of. But a 20-odd goal season for Odson Eduard on a personal level, as you've said before, Kevin, he's interested in his showreel. But we did get something out of the players. It wasn't just the all-down tools and we got nothing from them. Yeah, you know, a lot of them didn't play to their capabilities. But if they're managed properly... And that at this moment in time, they want to leave the club. If they're managed properly, you can get a new player. I mean, I mean, we've seen it with Brendan Rodgers. The players that he revitalised at Celtic um, was, was incredible. And when and I, I spoke about this on the podcast, Kev, when Neil Lennon came in on a permanent basis, I spoke of my concerns around Callum McGregor because I said that he never played never played a single minute of football under Neil Lennon first time round and in actual fact Celtic were very close to selling him to Carlisle following a, a good loan deal at Notts County because Lennon didn't fancy him now I'm not blaming Neil Lennon for Carl Callum McGregor but I'm just saying a manager comes in and it can work both ways could he get a tune out of Ryan Christie who knows could he get a tune out of Cham who's on his way out Potentially. So I think that there are players that he'll be able to get a tune out of. And there'll be others that will need to go by the wayside because they just don't suit his style. He needs to have a, he needs to have that conversation with the players first though and get his personality across. Going back to the Jack Hendry thing, what do you think, Brian? Do you think it was just a case that the football department thought £1.75 million for Jack Hendry was a good deal because we didn't fancy him? And he won't, and he won't be a success across there anyway. Do you know, I think it's a wee bit of a mystery with that one because, you know, we, we talk about Lowell and one of the, the things that he does get credit for is being this tough negotiator and very often getting a good deal for players. So it's hard to imagine a situation where he lets a player go for 1.7 mil 
So I find that a bit strange. Um, what it does think of though is complete growth squad mismanagement. Like um, that Belgian club, I can't even say their name. Oh, I want to consider profit on him. Is a shambles. Now, whether you like the guy or not, we recently going to have um, Neil Beaton and Stephen Welsh as our two centre backs for the Champions League qualifiers. Mm-hmm. We know backup if one of them gets injured. Even if the big man wasn't going to cut it, he's a body in there. They can at least do a job. So even finances aside, it's a crazy decision that they were able to take up that option and he was off, leaving us even further um, lacking in squad depth. So I just think it, it, it's it's almost indicative of what's went wrong this year. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no getting a chance getting punted out, sold for, for cheap. I mean, even you mentioned in Cham, apparently we're waiving the last year of his contract and he's leaving for free to AK Athens. I mean, that's madness. This guy was getting quoted as like, was it $12 million for Porto a couple of years ago. The asset value, the, the dip in asset value is incredible. You're looking even, and I know that people will say, well, what did he do this season? Lee Griffiths apparently is a free agent. Uh, obviously, the tweet that came out from his brother's account has been removed, but he's a free agent. And you think, well, here's a guy who last season should have been utilised better, right? Yeah, we know he was unfit. Would he have scored goals, Kev, if you gave him 30 games? Probably. In Scottish football. Mm-hmm. You know, so he's away for, basically for now. He's away for nothing. He's going to go to a club, if, he, if a club in Scotland can afford his wages, he'll be a success at an Aberdeen or, or Hibs. They're the two clubs that probably would fancy Lee Griffiths. If we allow that to happen to Encham, not only are you losing the, the four and a half million that you spent on him, but there was a resale value on that player, Brian, like, mm-hmm. like you quite rightly said. And we're tearing up his contract and he's away. And, and then even the players that are sold, i.e. Ayer, Eduard, potentially Christie, what about the fees? What about the fees for these players? I'm going to give you an example. I was speaking to someone at Inverness, Caledonian Thistle, um, someone at that club, employed by that club, who had been speaking to Peter Lobel. I'm trying to get my dates right because the, the lockdown's kind of messed up my years. So I can't, I'm not quite sure if it was 2019. It was certainly January. I think it was 2019. And there, were, there was interest in Ryan Christie. And Inverness, I've got a 15% sell on, on Ryan Christie. And the guy says to me, and, he, and he's... He's in the club. I'm, I'm, he's not in the football department, but he's at the club. And he was asking me what my valuation of Ryan Christie was back then. And I says, you know, w- what you've got to do is you've got to see how much we got for X, Y and Z. So I'd, I would say maybe in the region of 10, 12, 13. And this official at Inverness was saying, surely you'll get more than 15 million for him. And he was serious. Now, this is a guy at a football club. Look at the absolute um, incredible downfall in his valuation, Kev. If we were to sell Ryan Christie this pre-season, how much are we going to get for him? It depends. Well, last year contract, eh? so if you're getting anything for five million up, you're doing well. I'm thinking five million quid. Mm-hmm. Now, the depreciation and value of any player of ten million quid, and I'm not saying he was ever worth fifteen million, by the way. No. But we know that Edward, the, the, the price is quoted now compared to a year ago. You know, the price is quoted um, around Ayers' potential interest from AC Milan a year ago, and what he's going to go for are, are night and day. So we've lost tens of million millions of pounds on bad management, bad player development, and the asset value. Let's say four players between five and ten million pounds for each player. That is huge for a club like Celtic to lose 20 or 25 million quid. It's huge. What do you think, Brian? It goes back to our point earlier about the, the business side of things. So you look at that, you look at the losses we take. So just from last season to this season, Edward was quoted 25 million, 30 million, now 15. 
plus his sellout clause, you have to give PSG. So we're getting about four million quid for, for Edward. I earn maybe six million to Newcastle. We're probably losing ten million on him. Brian Christie, Oliver Enchant, etc. So you're talking maybe nearly twenty odd million, thirty million pounds a transfer fees we've lost. Then you look at the, the five million in Barkas, a Yeti, three and a half million Kamala, although we clawed that back. As a business, that's an outlay, a loss of about fifty million quid nearly. I mean, I don't know the figures, it's pie in the sky here, but it can't be much can't be off. Then you offset that against the lack of funds because of COVID. You imagine the financial state this club must be in. That is not a well-run business. Even if they treated us like cattle and ran the business really well and we're so financially stable as we're told they are, I'm worried for the finances of the club for this season coming up. And that's not a plea for people to sign on for season tickets because I don't believe they should unless they really want to. The fact is, as a business, to be run that poorly, not even the football side of things, just as a business, is appalling to me. Definitely, definitely. I've got a comment for David Kelly. And I'm going to ask you based the question, Paul and Brian. David Kelly comes in and says, would you have accepted the 1.75 million last summer for Jack Hendry? Yeah, 100%. What are we signing for? It was like one, one, one and a half. One and a half. One and a half, no. I would have, yeah. A year ago, I would have. Mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't have based on the fact we paid out a million and a half for him. You know, I, I, I think... You're selling one basically for, for nothing. I don't want to do a bit more, but I would have punted them, yeah. But I think the point D- David's making is you do the deal a year ago, which is now coming to fruition now, and I get that. But what I'm trying to say is let's do the deal better, you know, because we've had our fingers burnt with this. Let's do the deal better and let's make sure that we're, if we're in it, a situation again where somebody goes out and loan. We've had so many examples of it. Ryan Christie went out and loan Kev. I think would have batted an eyelid if, if he never came back. He did come back and he started contributing to Celtic. Callum McGregor's another example. Chris Iyer, I think that was a more of a planned loan to Kilmarnock, you know. But the, the point remains, we should be far, far cuter when it comes to loaning players out that they might just show up the potential that they had and, and the reason why we, we, we bought them in the first place. So that we're not sitting here and he goes for, let's say, 1.7, Kev, and then Leeds United buy him in two or three months' time and... We're scratching our heads because there's another ten million pound loss, Brian, onto that that thirty, forty, fifty million figure. So yeah, it's it's quite I, I, incredible I think, when you you start you know adding it up. I think what you were getting at there, Paul, was basically we gave Austin the ball back mm. instead of us keeping the ball. Mm-hmm. We gave Austin the ball back and says, "I ah, used to have, have another shot at goal because because yeah. we we've gave up the we we've gave up the power and natural deal." Maravchik 25 comes in, 900 grand we paid for Jack Hendry. So we did make a fair bit of profit on it. Well. Jack and Bauer, he was getting called by the Celtic scouts. Jack and Bauer, yes. And we know what Celtic scout that was. It came up with that term. (laughs) Uh, Last night, Shane Duffy, before we just wrap up, this is just me going to wrap up here. Shane Duffy says last night that it was great to get back playing because he forgot what it felt like to play football. And I think with Big Ange coming in and... We all hope that Celtic remember what it's like to play football under Ange Poster Coglu. Look, everybody, thank you for tuning in. It's been great. Brian, what a debut. Me and you are going to get on fine. We're on the same page. <laughs> this was like this was like one of these like awkward first dates because me and Brian have never met each other before. So it's like one of the Channel 4 films, uh, Channel 4 programmes, where they stick two folk together and see what happens. Uh, so I think, I think it went well. Uh, I don't know about you. You might block me. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what will happen there. But thanks, everybody. 
uh, for tuning in. Subscribe, like, share with all your pals, and remember, just keep calm. Eh? See you all later. Got hair loss? I know what you're thinking. Should I shave my head, comb it over, wear a hat? Just stop. This is in 1970. Keep your hair and your confidence because Bosley, America's number one hair restoration experts, can give you your real hair back permanently. Check them out today because they're giving away an absolutely free information kit and a free gift card to anyone that texts EASY to 203203. Dude, you don't have to look like your dad, because this isn't your dad's hair loss treatment. People all over the country trust Bosley because they're ahead of the curve. They use the latest technology to give you your real hair back. And the best part? Bosley's permanent solution is protected by the Bosley Guarantee. Let Bosley show you for free how awesome your hair could look with an absolutely free information kit and a gift card for $250 off. Text EASY to 203203. That's B-A-S-Y to 203203. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all every audience live conversations trusted influencers and the insights and data you need to grow iHeartMedia is your access company go to iHeartResults.com for more sports social podcast network sports social podcast network sports social podcast network sports social podcast network Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.